0: been olympic season here in the boyer household mm-hmm. have you been watching the olympics there reed the winter olympics are not as exciting as the summer olympics for
1: me but there are a few that i really enjoy watching i'm a big curling fan and
0: biathlon it's fine i don't really understand the point of it any sport that has skiing and then firing a rifle all in one oh, that's a great sport some of the
1: stuff is getting a little and this is me sounding old, I guess, but I felt like we're doing too much on snowboards now. It's fine. I, I'm all for the half pipe or whatever. I don't, I don't know how you're supposed to judge it.
2: Welcome to
1: All right, and here we are. Uh, Special thanks again to Michael Vinsky. Always nice to have his voice leading off the... uh, I was going to say top of the hour, but I I guess it could be top of the hour. Top of the show. I mean, might as well be. So... Uh, that is Chris Boyer over there. Uh, of course, I'm Reed Smith. You can find out more about us and everything we're doing here at touchpoint.health. Find how to follow us online at Twitter and all those kinds of fun places. So, mm-hmm. And give Michael a little bit of love for giving us that intro so you can find him over at michaelvinsky.com. Chris, how's right. it going?
0: Pretty good, Reed. Good to talk to you today. Top of the morning to you, or top of the evening, or top mm-hmm. of the whenever you're listening to this, right? That's right. That's what I thought about when you said top of the show. Well, awesome. Well, we're back. Uh, episode 54. We're
1: going to talk about some of the big players in the industry. I mean, I guess they're in the industry, to some degree, at least. I We'll, mm-hmm. well, we'll actually dig a little bit more into that, so... You may yeah. see these names and not think they're in the industry. But hey, before we get started, I did want to give a special thanks to uh, Loyal Health. For most customers, the search for a healthcare provider, it's not an easy task. Tons of choices. Uh, you got lots of questions you're trying to get answered. And
0: luckily, Loyal has a solution that's right just for you, and that's what they call Empower where it empowers the patient and provides an ability for them to really navigate this frustrating maze. It, it allows you to maximize star ratings and introduce deeper insights into what patients are really saying about their experience, sort, approve, and even publish patient reviews of physician services and practices. Absolutely. And I, you know it goes along nicely with today's show. We're talking about
1: technology. We're talking about disruption. These guys are doing all that and allowing that transparency around physicians to uh, bleed through there on your website. So learn more,
0: visit them online at loyalhealth.com. Bleed through. It's maybe not an appropriate metaphor for healthcare, huh? Or maybe it is. <laughs> maybe
1: it's the appropriate metaphor. <laughs>
0: Well, Reed, I am excited about today's topic. We're looking at some of those big technology players and how they're getting aggressively into this healthcare space. You might say they're bleeding into the healthcare space. (laughs) I would probably say that. Healthcare is an industry that's just a a great target for disruption. It's a big industry that impacts our economy. It also is one that's outdated. It is... Mm. Slow to move and slow to change. There's a lot of things that are impacting this industry that make it just sort of the sitting target. There's a lot of money involved, the government's involved, the payers, obviously,
1: but the private and uh, publicly traded spaces. I, it's just a little bit of everything is in there. And to your point, I think, you know, we've stagnated to some degree from an innovation standpoint, some would say. And mm-hmm. therefore, you've got a lot of these groups that are jumping in trying to figure out, well, how can they apply their model to healthcare, whether that be through the delivery delivery
0: side or otherwise. And digital technology is just like the perfect thing to bring into the space because digital offers so many ways to kind of solve this problem, which leads us to like the first article that we're going to talk about, which is called Why Healthcare is Ripe for Digital Disruption. There's some quotes in here that I want to jump out. The healthcare system today remains woefully fragmented, physician-centric, siloed, Disconnected from the holistic needs of the patient and in dire financial condition. How do you feel about that?
1: <laughs> it's not the greatest outlook, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, I understand where they're coming from, obviously. And I think they hit on some key themes in here. So maybe, maybe mm-hmm. let's, let's take a look at a few of these. You know, the first one they talk about is that digital platforms allow for people to interact with each other in ways beyond well in this case going into the doctor's office if you've got the chronic illness or maybe even it's just um you know i think about you know we've got a two-year-old and so you've got well checks that come along every so often at x amount of weeks and then x amount of months and then the one year and the two year and the school this and the, you know and all those types of things well why bring a healthy otherwise healthy
0: baby and mom into a doctor's office where everybody's sick And the other thing about digital is that it can scale easily. As these platforms grow and more people participate, they become more increasingly valuable for the people that are participating. So it's kind of one of those things where the more people are starting to use these platforms, the more the healthcare providers learn about the platforms and can make them aligned with what the needs are of the patient. And the participants become more increasingly active in these communities. And we see that through uh, some of the conversations we had in the past around online patient communities. Your healthcare is a big space. you know, so if something mm-hmm. does
1: work, it's going to have to scale to continue to be successful, or it's just going to fall flat. Digital helps with that. Digital's already obviously a big component uh, and proponent, I guess, uh, of disrupting other industries. Uh, you know, easy ones to point to there is, you know, hotel and travel, right? Yep. So Air- Airbnb,
0: Uber. There's a lot of great use cases from other industries where digital is coming in and transforming old business models to new business models. And so it's easy for us to look at digital as doing the same in our space. Unlike some of those other spaces,
1: we we do have some complexities around, you know, pharma, for example, or mm-hmm. Needing to actually physically perform procedures on patients. You know, it's not mm-hmm. shipping and logistics, you know, or something like that.
0: Something that kind of is a little pet peeve of mine, though, Reed, is I hear a lot of people in this industry when they're talking about digital transforming healthcare. care. They actually equate themselves to these other businesses or industries. It's really hard when I hear people say, well, we want to be the Uber of healthcare. Well, what does that mean? You could have another uh, revenue stream with Airbnb, though, right? I mean,
1: if you got empty beds or something. Hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Make a note of that, Reed. Yeah. <laughs> that's for all those CFOs that think marketing is just a cost
0: center right there. <laughs> so. I love it. I love it. And one of the things this article sums up with is that they say, and this is another great quote, two hurdles stand in the way of advancements, the recalcitrant mindset of the healthcare community and the heavy hand of regulations. Yeah, I think the regulations is obviously a big one, whether it's perceived or real and the fact that the willingness to change or the unwillingness to change is also impacting how we're actually approaching digital change and change within this industry. But that's not stopping technology from making an active leap into this space, whether we want them to or not. In the fact that our customers, they're driving the change. And there's another article that we found, it was on US News and World Report that says customers drive healthcare disruption. The quote from the Air Aetna chairman and CEO, Mark Bertolini, was pretty good. He says, companies uh, don't disrupt industries. If we were
1: to say who disrupted retail, you'd say Amazon, or who disrupted mobile technology. Uh, you might say it's Apple. That's not true. The only way the industries get disrupted is when you build a compelling customer experience in service offering that they want to use over and over again. Then they disrupt the industry us as consumers disrupt the industry. So, it's not the companies, it's the it's the end user.
0: Knowing that as we look at and we start to we're going to dive into now a couple of the uh, major industries that are coming into healthcare in an aggressive way. I think it's important to understand that these industries are popular because consumers, us, we like them, we use them. And Because we like them and use them, I think it's given them the power to come into this space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, market share allows innovation. So why don't we dig into each one of these, Reed, should I call the disruptive trifecta of healthcare. And the first one, of course, is one that I think I use many, many times during the day, which is Google.
1: (laughs) In a number of different ways, right? So, I mean, it's not just search engine. It could be Maps etc. So they've got, you know, Google Docs.
0: They think their advantages in this space is that they understand what users want, or at least they've been spending their whole, you know, life as an industry, uh, trying to understand people's interest in searching. They put themselves out there as understanding the customer journey. And while I kind of agree with it, they have a slight advantage coming into the space because they have this knowledge, this preconceived knowledge of how we interact with digital platforms. Um, and <laughs> yeah. by the way, they're collecting like thousands of pieces of information about us. You know, so they, they actually know us many cases better than our healthcare systems know us. Have we talked about the whole like, scan your face and what portrait are you?
1: Have we talked about that on the podcast? I don't think we have. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where like you've seen people post these pictures and like you, it's some I don't even know what Google app it is, but anyway, it scans your face and then it tells you what like famous portrait you look most like, and like you know, millions of people are doing this, and all the while I'm thinking Google just figured out how to scan your face. Legally. So, to your point, like they know preference, they know all kinds of stuff about you, the details uh,
0: about you that just would probably blow your mind, but it only makes sense. I think we've talked about this in some previous episodes where Google is moving aggressively into the artificial intelligence space. And I think that's really one of the areas where uh, they have a distinct advantage. Artificial intelligence allows them to not only map your face to uh, you a know, famous art portrait, but it now it, with the advancements of AI, they can scan through millions of data records and try to start to identify trends, I- predict patterns. And that's where they're aggressively moving. And you, you may have read about some of these articles.
1: Yeah, so like predictive models and stuff like that. This first article is kind of interesting from Market Watch. So it's opinion piece, but Google is says Google's developing its own prescription for U.S. healthcare costs. Smarter artificial intelligence. It doesn't take much for them to just simply piece together some of their existing, I guess, algorithms and you know different things like that to understand what's going on. But you know could obviously drive down the path of a more accurate
0: diagnosis. Is what it's talking about. Yes, Dr. Google. Exactly. Dr. Google in a whole other way, where they're even doing studies with Stanford, the University of Chicago, the University of California, where they were able to see collaborative research using their artificial intelligence that shows their AI platforms can work in almost in a more aggressive way than IBM Watsons could in this space. Mm. And it can have a dramatic impact on unplanned hospital readmissions, which they predict like cost $17 billion a year and lead to uh, right. you know, almost 100,000 de- deaths a year. One of the things they're really getting into the space is they're realizing their AI can be applied in a massive way for clinical research, for clinical trials. The facial recognition that you were talking about earlier, Reed, they're able to do that now with massive data sets. They're able to look at DNA molecules and being able to track patterns. As Google moves into the space more, they're really developing a neural network based technology. Their artificial intelligence is able to teach itself to be smarter. And to me, that's really, really scary if you think about it. But it also has a foundational impact on how clinical research is going to be done in the future, particularly if they start to integrate it. It talks about
1: some of the stuff that they're doing, obviously, in here with with Stanford and I think University of Chicago, et cetera, University of California. For it to become commonplace, though, aren't they going to have to get buy-in from all these other organizations and ultimately the government?
0: Yeah, I think ultimately it's going to need that. Government regulation is going to rear its ugly head in this space pretty soon if it hasn't already and these are reputable organizations these are big mm-hmm. names it's not like they're doing it with like you know a small hospital in middle of michigan they're doing these with these big organizations that have a strong reputation in the space i think people are paying attention
1: but isn't that predictable though to some degree and i don't i mean i'm not trying to run against what they're doing necessarily but don't you expect that from stanford i I would almost find it more credible if they were doing this with a group of rural community hospitals or something like that
0: the resources aren't quite there for sure you know we found another article on zdnet though that talks about google's parent company alphabet and they have a project called project baseline have you heard about this reed Just a little bit. Project Baseline is Alphabet's five-year plan to map the entire journey of human health. Now, that sounds pretty ambitious, doesn't it? (laughs) This is a B.
1: Is that what?
2: (laughs) A billion?
0: What it's looking at is a variety of, it looks at a variety of different data. So it first starts with some of the stuff that they've already done. How do people search and start to investigate for care? And you can argue that Google's whole digital patient journey that they've published before is really a step in that right direction. The work that they're doing around Project Baseline is is getting significantly more deeper. They're using it now so that when upon initial diagnosis, you could tap into their massive data sources online, the physicians can, and they can actually start to access information, start to diagnose what the problem is, really start to you know, keep track of what that particular illness is. All the while, they're tracking it back into the database so they can actually develop mm-hmm. baseline information for predictors of disease even the ability to
1: look backwards. So when someone gets sick, develops cancer, having the ability to look backwards and try to make determinations if we would have changed this, done this differently, will we have different outcomes.
0: Now, you know, I've been in this space for a long time as you, Reed, and I know we've been talking about doing genetic testing and, and creating you know, these, these massive libraries, d- data intelligence libraries. What Google's Project Baseline doing is tying these databases together on a massive scale so that so that healthcare organizations across the world can tap into these. This makes me a little nervous. It's a fine line from the
1: here's what we should have done, here's what everybody should be doing to be healthier to like, you know, I want my child to have blue eyes. I feel like that's a slippery slope all of a
0: sudden. To be very clear, Alphabet's not developing databases where they can actually then, you know, do DNA sequence mapping. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, some of the other stuff that they're doing is they're starting to use wearable technologies to start gathering additional information that's not normally tracked in clinical research. So like the Verily watch, that's an mm-hmm. alphabet owned technology company. That smart watch is now tracking information like how much sleep they're getting, what kind of activities they do, their diet, vaccination stuff. You know, I mean, they're starting to track a more comprehensive patient record. Do you have to always have the watch on? Because that's going to be a problem for me. If you do have the watch on all the time, you're going to be able to get your heart rate, your electrodermal activity, your inertial movements. Come on, Reed. This sounds like it's... Do I want to know this? Like, I don't... It's also going to track to see like where you go around, what places you visit, what planes you're flying, where you go, and how you're going to spread diseases. Our alphabet is going to be there. It's going to know everything about our history, and it's going to extend into this world where it's going to know everything. So at what point does my watch realize that I'm not
1: feeling great, and when I go to board my <laughs> plane, they're like, sorry, sir, <laughs> you can't get on this
0: flight? That would be really good. That would, be, that would be something I think, actually, I would support. I don't know about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, we're not going to let you get on this plane and infect other people with your cold.
1: <laughs> Can I get this security quicker? Is that possible? Does this come with pre-check?
0: Just let's wrap up a little bit here on Google. Um, One of the things, uh, Duke University School of Medicine, they indicate that there are three main aims for Project Baseline. So one is about getting more personalized healthcare, understanding what's the right thing for the right person. The second thing is being more preventative. How can we actually go from a reactive healthcare system to a proactive healthcare enterprise? Mm -hmm. And then the third, and this is probably the most ambitious of them all, is how do you pull it all together into this big healthcare jigsaw puzzle. And that's what our project baseline is trying to accomplish. I think of all you know the big players in this space, I think Google is probably, if we pick any technology company, is probably the one that's going to make it here. So, All right, so
1: Google is predominant player number one. Another big one is uh, Facebook. Uh, we're on it a lot. Well, all the time, I guess, to some degree. We tell it an awful lot about us.
0: Why, why would they not be in this space? Facebook is the platform that I have to admit I never turn off on my phone. It probably knows everything about me. I Maybe I should log in and log out of it, it has all that personalized information about me, the preferences, it knows my friends, it knows, you know, all the things that I'm sharing, all the status updates. It probably knows my personal interests and my political affiliations as well and understands our mental health and understands how to influence our mental health by sharing different types of posts in our feeds. I think Facebook sees this entire ecosystem of its audience as being a great place to conduct health experiments on. I mean, you've got everybody, right? <laughs>
1: they're there a lot, and they're willing to tell it stuff. doesn't matter what you're trying to study, I guess. It's it's a great, great active community. I guess let's jump into some of these articles, because th- these are some of the things that I've kind of struggled with in my head a little bit. So the first one that we're looking at is from a site called The Mighty. I like that, The Mighty. The article is called, Facebook says its update will make it better... For your mental health, here's what you should know. They're basing this off a post, actually, from Zuckerberg, um, I guess not too terribly long ago, where he's guaranteeing or wants to make it, you know, or they feel a responsibility, I guess, to make sure that the services are not just fun to use, but they're also good for people's well-being. Mm And it kind of talks through and walks through this idea that people that spend time passively on the site feel okay or maybe not even even great Mm -hmm. (laughs) than people that actually interact with folks, right? So, uh, you know, I take that to mean that Zuckerberg is trying to move people towards, you know, continued interactivity, making sure that they're serving up
0: content that you want to see, friends you want to interact with. So about that logic... That's very interesting. First of all, Zuckerberg is saying the more you use the tool, the more mentally stable you will be, and the more healthy you will be.
1: Okay, yeah, I'm sure, that's true. But
0: interesting correlation there, right? Um, although I do know a lot of people that passive aggressively use Facebook. So, oh, but man. we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that could be an episode in and of itself. Maybe that, you know, I do get the, the the sense of, okay, you interact with other people. That's good for your health, I, for your well-being. I get that. But I mean, not necessarily the correlation between that and Facebook necessarily, you know, exists, but whatever. Let's take that into mind, though. What that means is Facebook is now changing its newsfeed to encourage people to interact with each other more. Now, what I feel might be a little bit, interesting um, or might, might be a, 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 an interesting outcome of all of this is that what you might be doing is you might be getting yourself in these little ruts of people that talk about the things that you like to hear about more and kind of put you down this spiral pattern of if you have friends that are supportive of you, that works great. But what if you have friends that are maybe not necessarily supportive? Maybe they're not necessarily positive. Is that a good thing for you? No. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe in the short term. I, here's
1: the thing. I, in this this article mentions it is that you know what's complicated about social media is that that people relate or have relationships with social media, so to speak, in very different ways. I know some people that use social media only for news related content. A lot of people do connect and use social media not to actually actively participate but it's just to consume content some people use it to uh, engage in community so they're members of a lot of groups healthcare related or otherwise but that's where they you know get in interact you know receive value some people use it just to keep up with friends and family because maybe they've moved or you know they don't live mm-hmm. in close proximity to a lot of folks and so people use these things in very different ways what we've seen across a lot of these social channels is a very filtered view that people put out there. You're gonna end up in this space where you're constantly trying to keep up with the Joneses,
0: mainly because that's the only thing people put out there. What's hard for brands, and particularly like hospitals and health systems, is in the past we thought of Facebook as a great way to get good healthy content out to these audiences, well some of the changes they're making to the newsfeed on, you know, purportedly to help with people's quote unquote well being is really making it harder and harder for brands that have a good cause like hospitals and health systems to actually get content out in front of people that might be of interest. So they've started to de-emphasize advertising and the ability to target in your advertising. That's a big change. Your organic posts are starting to get de-emphasized in the feed. And look, I get it. I get why Facebook's doing this, they got into a lot of heat around what happened, you know, in the in the last elections and some of the things that are coming out. But is Facebook really the place where your well-being rests? I'm not sure. I'm not convinced of that.
1: But don't they still have
0: to monetize it? Whatever happened in the last election, I, you know,
1: whatever as far as Facebook goes, because I still think at the end of the day it, it's a business decision for them. They throttled brands' content because the free ride was over, right? They needed to force you into a paid model. Right. Uh, they needed you to spend money. They needed somebody to spend money, you know? Mm-hmm. So they can't they can't turn around and make people pay to have a profile. So mm-hmm. they've got to get brands paying money. And I still think you're going to find yourself down that path. Now, I do think they'll optimize, quote-unquote, meaningful interactions. They need eyeballs. They need to be able to show these brands,
0: that they can get a return for their dollar. So it's an interesting balance. And the other thing that Facebook is really focusing in on is making sure they have a loyal user base, right? It boils back to the fact that if people are loyal to your platform, the platform itself will find ways to make money from that. And so the other thing that they're getting into is, I'm sure you've heard about this, right, is Messenger Kids. They launched this whole platform for kids under the age of 13 that they call Messenger Kids, that's trying to push Facebook technology into people under the age of 13. A lot of people ask me this, church and otherwise, you
1: know, why is it 13 years old, you know, for Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. whatever. It's not that it's illegal per se to have a Facebook page if you're under 13 years old. What it was actually enacted around was the idea of of advertising, right? They didn't want advertising or there was a law enacted where you know couldn't advertise people under 13 years old and so these platforms did not want to split the platform and have like a different experience for people under 13. Mm-hmm. therefore you have to be 13 to have this account so this is the first i guess foray into that you know splitting the platform so to speak
0: and while they're saying you know that this platform is advertising free and you know parents have to set it up for their kids the point is is that a lot of advocacy groups are pushing back on this because they're saying that it's not necessarily that you know there's advertising or there's exposure to bad content. The technology in and of itself has the ability to really transform the way kids interact with technology, and in effect, more Facebooking can have a negative impact on people's mental health. The exact opposite of what Zuckerberg is saying. Uh, you know, when we go to the beach
1: every summer, I don't take any devices. It's kind of my digital sabbatical for a week. And it takes me like three days to like come down off of that.
0: Well, that's not good. <laughs> so we're just going to start that younger now? It's kind of crazy. And there's a growing movement, and I just saw them on the news the other day, of people coming out against Google and Facebook saying that these technologies are addictive, they're causing people to depend on them for getting all the positive energy. All that well-being stuff that, that Zuckerberg claims that Facebook has, in this particular case, it's very negative and it's impacting. And now they're rolling it out to kids. And so to me, that really freaks me out a little bit, I have to say. If you look at this article... Uh, on the New York Times and
1: again we'll post links to all these obviously there's a couple of quotes towards the end that I think frame the opposite viewpoints maybe but one is you know Facebook is saying that Messenger Kids is a messaging app that helps parents and children to chat in a safer way with parents always in control of their children's contacts and interactions okay as a parent like that okay that sounds like a good idea I can control who they contact and what the interactions look like and, you know, okay, that sounds good, right? What's wrong Mm -hmm. with that? But if you go down and you look at, uh, there's a quote here from uh, Michael uh, Brody, former chairman of the Media Committee for the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Facebook is making children into a market and the youngest will be more likely to get hooked uh, even earlier. I can't really argue with either one of those statements necessarily, just in and of themselves. But I think we're seeing kids as young as six years old now becoming
0: a market. That makes my skin crawl. Just hearing that, to think about that. Kids that young is now being targeted by Facebook. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Facebook kind of creeps me out right now. So maybe we should just pivot this conversation to the last technology platform. Or just do what Jim Carrey says and delete your Facebook page and sell all your stock. (laughs) <laughs> well before we do that and before we jump into the last of the the trifecta let's talk a little bit about our friends over at binary fountain yes they've got something coming up right yeah they got this uh, free webinar that's happening on wednesday february 21st at 1 p.m eastern one of their clients the florida orthopedic institute will present uh on creating
1: a hospitality influenced online reputation management strategy so their director of marketing and consumer service a uh, former executive from Starwood Hotels. So, hey, that's, that's kind of interesting. It knows what
0: it means to create a five-star customer experience. And this webinar is going to talk all about that. It's part of the Healthcare Internet Conference's Backstage Pass Series. That sounds like exciting. Like I wish I had a backstage pass. Yeah. You can find out more and register today if you go to BinaryFountain.com. And right on their homepage, there's a button that says RSVP. Just click on that button and go right to it and sign up for that webinar, which is happening Wednesday, February 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern. The last one, the last of the three, Amazon. Oh, boy. We've heard a lot of news about Amazon lately, particularly, yeah. uh, we'll talk about that, that partnership. Um, and mm-hmm. I know that Lance gets into that in his interview coming up as well, right? Yep. Yeah. Lance has some good stuff to say, and it's kind of interesting. And, but I
1: will say, you know, Amazon does understand predictive analytics. Uh, they understand delivery mm-hmm. of goods and services. So it's not hard to imagine that Amazon would want to be in this space or could
0: be in this space or should be in this space, right? That's right. I mean, and, and they're also understanding experience that transcends from online to offline. Think about the Whole Foods and using Amazon as an online fulfillment center. There is an article we found on Forbes. It's actually a three-part article that outlines how they think Amazon can transform healthcare in a, a significant way. First of all, look at the five capabilities that it's brought to retail. You mentioned it, Reed, the comprehensive consumer records. It's been doing that since early on. I mean, I saw a video on YouTube of Amazon talking about this back in 1997, 98, something like that. They've been tracking consumer preferences.
1: Uh, You know, obviously, you know, that, and then you couple that
0: with personalized content and user experience. Now it's starting to map like what I bought and ranking recommendations based on other what other people have bought, looking at past purchases, shopping cart items, other things like that. Analysts estimate that 35% of Amazon sales are generated by its recommendation engine.
1: I was trying to kind of think very quickly in my head if I've purchased things based on that. I know I've watched like, you know, video, like Amazon video based off of recommendations and things like that. I'm trying to think if I've bought anything. I think I have actually. Usually when I go to Amazon and I'm purchasing a type of an item, you know, not by brand. You know, then you may see some of the recommendations and go, "Oh, well there's a good HDMI cable that has a good review," right? Like you're not going there to buy an HDMI cable by brand name. So you you could see that like in the healthcare space, you know, being able to go and actually purchase and consume based on what it is that you need, not not a you know so specific that you're you know
0: dialing into a certain location, even a
1: certain doctor or anything like that.
0: The other thing they have too going for them, Reed, is price transparency and choice. It shows you a product and it shows related products. It gives you the ability to compare products online. Yeah. We don't do that in healthcare. We can't do that. I'm sorry. We don't do
1: price transparency <laughs> yeah. or choice. No, right. uh, qu- the quality of the reviews is number four. Um, so, you know, Amazon helps, you know, users gauge the quality of the products and, and even the sellers of the products, uh, by facilitating that review. In their case, it's a pretty public loop, you know, incentivizes, uh, sellers to address quality issues.
0: The fifth uh, element is seller execution and customer satisfaction. So they're known for not only being the best in customer satisfaction, 16 out of the last 17 years, the internet retail category, they won, but they also are really great at fulfillment. Uh, They're getting down to same day deliveries. I mean, think about that. Think about the efficiency around the delivery model. So mm-hmm. all of that kind of ties it together. You know, imagine having patient health data with complete longitudinal information and intelligent analytics at every point of care. Take it one step further. Imagine having personalized health pages with intelligible information, recommendations, and a dashboard based on a comprehensive view of a patient's history, condition, and interactions. I just like in the article that they have a chart in here that compares the
1: American Customer Satisfaction Index between hospitals, health insurance, and Amazon. (laughs) 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 It's not real surprising, but I'll let you all go and check out the article.
0: It's no wonder that Amazon is moving in this place. And we've heard about some of their other things that they're doing. The 1492 project where they're looking at EMRs Mm -hmm. and creating a better platform for health records. I think now it's time for us to talk about that partnership that they had just recently announced. The Berkshire Hathaway-Amazon-JP yeah. Morgan Chase partnership.
1: And if you go to this article, again, we'll have a link to it. Uh, I think it's in Caney. The picture of Warren Buffett looks like Will Ferrell playing Harry Carey playing <laughs> Warren Buffett. What they get to towards the end of this article is are some of those very things. Like, why is this partnership... Why is it interesting? And one of the ones in here, and this never really dawned on me, or I never thought about it this way, but is Amazon doesn't have to make money. Everybody else that innovates in the healthcare space, I say everybody else, most everybody else in the, that innovates in the healthcare space is going to have to worry at some point about revenues and reimbursement. So right now they don't care. All they do is like, well, let's just figure out how we take care of our employees and how we break this and make it better. And then maybe it becomes a model. And again, this is something Lance and I kind of get into that you'll hear about in a little bit. But you know, maybe this becomes a model.
0: Well, and that goes back to the very nature of what Amazon was based on. If you recall, Amazon was in the red for many, many years. And, mm-hmm. and Bezos didn't really care. He's like, we're eventually going to see it through. And guess what? They did. They made it through. And they're mm-hmm. making money hand over fist. So now this partnership, this alliance even declared itself to be, quote, free from profit-making incentives and constraints, unquote.
1: And I think another interesting one in here is that, you know, the, the ability for, well, all of them, I guess, to bring a different set of capabilities and experiences. To some degree, what, what they have going for them is they're, they're not in healthcare. I mean, nothing, there's not going to be a learning
0: curve. But I think that might be good for us to then pivot over to the last article that we found from CIO.com one of our favorite places to go mm-hmm. that's called amazon and healthcare is it disruption in motion or a big nothing burger Depends <laughs> on who you ask i guess a lot of skeptics do say well you know this is something that's only unique to this partnership Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan Chase, Amazon—only they can do it. It's not going to be something that's going to disrupt healthcare. While others are saying this is transforming healthcare as we speak.
1: Uh, yes and yes, maybe no and no. I, you know, it's—I
0: think it's pretty easy to argue either
1: side, right? I mean, this article goes through three big, I guess, themes: healthcare is increasingly virtual; the clinician shortage isn't letting up anytime soon; and the rise of healthcare consumerism is real. I think out of those, the one that really hits home for me is is the idea that the clinician shortage isn't letting up anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And so I don't care who's doing what, as long as we have a shortage of nurses, allied
0: health, physicians, etc., they're still going to become a bottleneck at some point, right? The fundamental part of that partnership is around providing access to good, affordable care to the employees without the constraints of being financially solvent. What they're trying to do is, is increase access and looking at multiple different ways that they can actually provide that access, be it in person, be it virtual, what have you. And that would solve that problem that you're talking about, the clinician shortage, right? Because now, what if you had suddenly access to clinicians across the world but then again, if everybody's also not restricted, do we, are we not still just back in the same boat? Not every physician is going to participate. Telemedicine world, right? I, I don't think healthcare providers or, or physicians will participate until the market is there. That's for sure. But once the market's there, we're going to start to see a shift of them being more, more participatory. You know, one thing I've seen in my experience working with telemedicine and telehealth is that doctors don't really participate until patients are there. Then they start to say, oh, wait, maybe we should pay attention to this. Ultimately, it just goes back to simple things like supply and demand. Where's the market? And other things that are kind of supplementary to that healthcare experience, taking the face-to-face with the doctor aside, prescription fulfillment, that -hmm. makes a lot of sense. And I could see Mm -hmm. Amazon owning that space if they wanted to. The telehealth, telemedicine, imagine that coupled with like an Alexa. The the way that fundamentally that can change in this space the article that we looked at from CIO.com sums it up. It says, none of this will eliminate the need for in-person visits for acute quick care, such as for surgery or chronic care. But the author doesn't believe Amazon is looking to replace doctors. In fact, it may be that Amazon turns out to be just the thing the doctor ordered.
1: Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast. I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've, we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So
0: digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would
1: recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touchpoint.
0: Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! Alright, this is the 54th installment, well maybe not 54th installment, but close to the 54th installment of Touchpoint Touch Counterpoint. Let's get into the argument of the day. And we've been talking a lot about sort of that disruptive trifecta of technology and healthcare. One of the things um, I think that we probably should argue about, just briefly, Reed, is do you think technology companies can really disrupt healthcare? Do they actually get our industry enough to cause disruption?
1: Well, staying short of answering what, what disruption actually means, I would say no. They they don't they don't get it enough. I think we see a lot of interesting concepts, betas, maybe even proofs of concepts. But there's too many legacy systems in place for them to really be able to have any headway
0: gained. I don't know, Reed. You know, there's that old Taoist saying that a butterfly flapping its wings on one side of the world can cause a hurricane on the other. Applying to technology disruption in healthcare, what that means is a small little change that, or even, you know, a medium-sized change, a technology company can bring into healthcare can cause a fundamental disruptive change and just have that take over. So, I actually think that while they may not get it, if they make one little change, that may cause this domino effect to cause rapid change in our industry.
1: I don't know. A butterfly flapping its wings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just like if a consumer pays their bill
1: in Florida, then like somebody in California is. Here's the problem. You and I have both seen a fair amount of technology in our days. And the problem is I don't see it anymore. Like it just doesn't go anywhere. You know what I'm talking about. You probably know who I'm talking about. It's all good stuff. I mean, it's all good stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. But to try to gain adoption, you know, it's that whole deal of like, should my hospital have a mobile app? It's like, no, how are you going to use it? That becomes a lot of the issue with this. I mean, my health insurance company right now gave us all pedometers and they'll physically, they will pay you real money for like wearing these pedometers. I hadn't worn it in like a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you've got to charge it and then you got to sync it with your computer they got mad when i put it on the dog no i didn't really do that but it's a cumbersome process that i just don't think i don't know that they have the stomach for it
0: or the longevity to see it through i would agree with you on that that you know sometimes you got this disruptive technology that's kind of it's kind of injected into the system And it doesn't work, or maybe it works for a brief period of time, and then it's rejected by the host, and then, you know, we're back to the status quo. But I do believe that there have been some fundamental shifts in the way we are doing things in healthcare, and I've seen that over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, we weren't talking about marketing automation or CRM as two items of technology for example but now we're talking about them all the time as as their critical systems so that's a great example of how some technology can cause disruption in our space let me kind of bring this together i think ultimately
1: to see real disruption you're going to have to have partnerships like what we're seeing now i know that's a little to be determined but i still you know i still think it's going to take somebody that like that very point they don't need to make any money. Like That's a big one. If they don't have to make money, then they can probably create some disruption. But you get some of these groups that are developers even, entrepreneurs, whatever. They build stuff and it works, and, but it's really hard to get that pushed
0: across the industry. It's funny because I was about to argue against you to say, well, that's kind of a high bar to hit that they have to make money. And then I thought, well, yeah, that's the nature of business, right? So maybe that isn't one that is a good a good counter argument to what you're saying. I do agree with you, Reed. We we do have to make changes. It's really the secret sauce is being able to find the right amount of disruption, but not so much that it will not scale across multiple different organizations. And that's kind of hard to do. Maybe it's one technology, one tool at a time. I do believe though that Google, Facebook, Amazon—all of those can cause disruption in our industries if, by the mere fact, it's changing the expectations of the consumer.
1: Glad to have—I uh, guess—I uh, guess you're a reoccurring guest at this point, Lance. But have uh, Lance Lunsford, for the chief marketing officer from the Texas Hospital Association join us. Hey, it's good. Thanks, Reed. Now, I wanted to touch a little bit on about what we're seeing with uh, Amazon, J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway of, of kind of what that what that means, uh, them, quote unquote, doing health care, right, for their employees.
2: This isn't necessarily a, a hospital attack plan. I, I don't think that this was a kind of a let's go at at hospitals. I think it's been more of a I think how do we disrupt the health plan side? You do have the possibility of them. Going after the brokers uh, and, and kind of hitting some of that. But you do have two places and the health plans where I think you're going to see them make a move, and that's going to be on the supply chain and then some of the way things are priced at hospitals in, in combination with health plans. When I say supply chain. I'm not talking about, you know, rubber gloves and <laughs> yeah, Kleenexes. And and, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be on yeah. pharma. And so that kind of coincides with the pharma disruption that that occurred a couple of weeks ago as well, where you had multiple health systems coming together and basically saying, we're going to start at generics generic. So we're going to come up with some ways to align mm-hmm. around that. So I, all of this is kind of lining up now. The big here, that I'm seeing is that employers are really fed up. I mean, that, that's basically why you have Berkshire Hathaway and, and Amazon and Google all kind of saying enough is enough. But, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that healthcare, we all know this, is, is eating up uh, nearly a fifth of the nation's GDP. I think, no doubt, hospitals understand that there is some efficiency that can be found for some savings. I mean, Texas is a little bit of an exception to that because we've been doing that streamlined uh, delivery for, you know, since 2012 when we had a a Medicaid waiver granted by CMS. So
1: you put those three guys together and, you know, that's going to force some people's hands. You know, they're big enough to actually do something. There's not a bunch of locally owned businesses that are like, man, you know, I wish I could you know hire three more employees, but I can't. Yeah, that's essentially
2: where they're going to find their value they're going to basically go in and take what gpos what group purchasing organizations do and try to uh, find best value and, and that's one of the things i think people as they go out and say well what does that look like they've been highlighting a couple of places where some alliances have formed um, and really even like the some of the largest employers. you know we've heard stories that Walmart at this point goes out, co- creates agreements directly with providers for knee and, and hip replacements, and they'll fly patients from all over the country to this one or two you know, select providers because they've been able to negotiate price at that kind of skill. So it's really a real possibility that they'll figure out a way to build a platform so that employers can kind of group into that kind of consortium, perhaps.
1: You've got these three folks that are you know, coming together to basically make their own GPO, or not Based, they are making their own GPO. What does that do for marketing? Or The value to, to an organization is going to be uh, employer strategy versus, you know, just marketing to the general population or even physician.
2: I, I think that it, that challenge is going to be very real. I mean, uh, you're going to want to get pretty tight with your CFO pretty quick. You may still have a lot of that, ability to be able to pull patient volume to areas where there are high margins. And then again, that might be where there is still reasonable opportunity because ultimately those mid markets probably don't have the, the size employers that would be put, put into this, these kinds of consortiums. But essentially, I think where the real influence is going to be is that they're going to design a model. And that model is going to probably be something that can be replicated.
1: Well, I think everybody saw the the article on The Onion or whatever it was about, you know, Amazon is going to have all these doctors, you know, available and you know, order a physician, you know, that kind of thing. You know, and that's funny, but it's probably not terribly far from the truth. It's going take a big stretch to imagine how, you know, Amazon becomes the pharmacy. And
2: too often there is a too cavalier a comparison of, one industry and another with what Uber is doing or with what Amazon does. I think the easiest place to be talking about what can be done when it comes to physicians and Amazoning healthcare is probably in the telehealth space. Right. So, you know, I, I had a CEO tell me that, um, you know, telehealth is a, a great technology in search of a strategy. And I, I don't think that's wrong, but the opportunity really is present. You know, what we are saying is that. Go, go in and open up your health plan and, and look at your options. Go online if you're a Blue Cross Blue Shield or, or uh, whatever your employer has for you. And you're going to see in there more than likely at this point some cash option that's really low for you to be able to bypass having to walk outside of your home when you're sick with your kid or you yourself are sick and just do a telehealth visit with your doc right there on your phone. And ultimately, that's the patient experience that could be really high. But think about what that means for the health plan. They're driving down their costs. You know, something tells me they're not going to be passing that cost, that, that savings along to you and your premium.
1: No, I can't imagine they would. I, there's plenty of room for disruption here, and it's kind of one of those things that it may not be the right options, but at least somebody's doing something. So maybe we get to the right option quicker. You know,
2: kind of a deal. You know, what I was pleased with was that there it didn't fall to this conversation of just like, you know, hospitals are are too expensive. Hospitals have too much administration. Well, I don't think a lot of people really understand what it looks like to get. A, to put a claim in with CMS you know, to, to get reimbursed by Medicare. Uh, the number of uh, rejections, the denials for claims that occur are astronomically through the roof. Um, and then for a hospital to have to fight that to get paid what it's owed on something that it's already getting 80 or 90% of cost uh, reimburse, reimbursement on it, is already bothersome. So Hospitals are somewhat hogtied when it comes to some aspects of that inefficiency, and EHR is a good example of that. We've actually had a three-part series in our our trade publication kind of detailing the problems and complexities uh, with EHRs. We basically looked at what was happening to some of our member hospitals where their revenue cycle was getting taken offline for three months. The hospitals, again, are somewhat, hands are mm-hmm. a little tied when it comes to the, getting that technology to run and getting that technology technology that has yet to really interconnect in a, in a single community with someone across the street, literally, that might use a different system and might serve the same patients, but can't talk to each other. So until we get that integration of those, that interoperability of those systems. Uh, but I, I still think that's an oversimplicity because one of the comparisons that were drawn on something I was reading was that, you know, look at banks, how quickly they were the kind of early adopters, that moved their banking systems into to mobile uh, smartphones as quickly as they could. Well, again, that's kind of a bad comparison because there's so much more elasticity in that market in that economic theory of elasticity where patients or where consumers have their choice can actually move price. Their choice can actually move markets to behave in a certain way consumers have a lot more decision-making power on where they put their money and they can move, the, you know, their, where they make their deposits today and they can, this afternoon, be up and operating at another bank. When it comes to making choices in a hospital and for your sure. own health care, a patient is going to rely heavily on the referral of their primary care physician or a doctor they trust to go, to go get, uh, get that care done in a place uh, where that doctor tells them, the price is probably going to be way, way, way down on the list. I mean, they're going to ask and make sure that it's in network. Patients follow the advice of physicians they trust. And so I'm not sure that transparency really is going to be that place where we find out the solutions that so many people think with the, with the, is the answer.
1: Well, what does all this mean for, for the marketing and communication folks out there? So, I mean, we, we had the big splash from the three we mentioned earlier, but even all the way through just the idea of price transparency and, and things like that. What, what are a couple of things marketers, uh, even communication folks obviously should be paying attention to.
2: Well, I think that there's two levels of transparency, right? That you, have got your price transparency, which you can be proactive in and, and you can kind of get competitive advantage by going out there and being proud of the fact that you're going to open up the books and, be, be more uh, clear with patients about what their, their costs are. again that's that's, bother- that's troublesome when you, you don't know what health plan has what but whoever kind of goes out there and breaks through and figures out the you know the, uh, the, the price transparency solution is uh, going to have a little bit of an advantage and then the second kind of transparency is on your quality and patient safety. So I would get your I would make sure that you've get your earned media. Uh, apparatus up and running and I would have a regular and routine exposure of how good your hospital is doing when it comes to quality and patient safety uh, it, it measures so uh, hospitals that do that are gonna get kind of a, a leg up uh, on the competition just in terms of brand recognition and kind of top of mind awareness a little bit of a halo effect in there uh, mm. but I, I would I would make that the first thing and again, that wouldn't be something that you're going to invest in today, so that you get uh, a that uh, return on investment tomorrow. But I think that in five years, you're going to want that muscle really well exercised.
1: This is just—it's kind of an ever-moving target, I guess, to some degree. We see a lot of stuff in the news, and and um, I, I don't know that it's just super, super clear at times. So appreciate you spending a few minutes and and chatting about a couple of these things so if folks want to track you down i think we've talked about this before but lance obviously is on on linkedin and twitter and all that kind of good stuff Uh, anything on the website you want them to check out or
2: uh, yeah down? texas Texas has some really great transparency uh solutions at you know the texas hospital association we have texas price point it's some we've, we've been looking at trying to update that the user interface on that but you know it it basically goes in and and has, you know, the, the charge masters in there. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's an important part of the process. Um, you know, we also have, have policy, uh, on our website at THA.org.
1: Good stuff. And we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks a lot, Reed. Chris, good news. The healthcare industry now has its own domain name. Woo. Absolutely. Everybody knows that organizations have .org, educationhas.edu. Well, now .health is available
0: and quickly becoming the home for all health-related content online. And listeners to our podcast can visit git.health slash touchpoint. Visit git.health slash touchpoint now.
1: all right wrapping up another successful episode another successful recording uh in this case episode 54 the uh the big three the trifecta whatever you want to call them so great episode um great things to think about good interview from lance always great to have him on a little bit of a different perspective coming from that advocacy uh, communications viewpoint and working with hospitals across the state of texas specifically Go out, check out the new website if you haven't, touchpoint.health. We appreciate all the ratings and reviews on iTunes and subscribing and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, I'll be doing a uh, webinar for the Mississippi Hospital Association coming up on reputation management and how to respond to reviews and all that kind of good stuff, South by Southwest. We're going to be at the forums
0: in late April. What else is going on? Pay attention to the Touchpoint podcast feed in the next you know couple of days or weeks. Um, We might be featuring some new content that you might be interested in. Yeah, more to come on that in future episodes as
1: well. Well, there's a grander plan, if you will, in 2018 for for
0: Touchpoint listeners. And so, recommendations, what do you got? I'm going to recommend something that comes around every four years, or actually every two years. And that is the Olympics. I thought you were going to say February the 29th, but (laughs) go ahead. (laughs) Well, I love the Olympics. I mean, it's it's one of those... I'm not a big sports person, as we traded some tweets about over the weekend. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, the Olympics does something to me that makes me a huge sports advocate for 18 days. And I have to say, I've been glued to the TV set the uh, last couple of days since uh, the opening ceremony. Over the years, I've noticed that the television coverage is a little bit spotty. This year in particular, it's a little abysmal. There's only a couple of television channels that actually sh- are showing the Olympics, NBC, and their affiliate. And it's not really that good. And usually they kind of sum up it all into one kind of, you know, like a prime time where it's the highlights and it's recorded well after the fact. Having said that, my recommendation is actually the Olympics app. They have an app. It's all actually called the Olympics Channel. It's, t- it's connected with NBC because they're the the primary broadcaster here in the U.S. And so you know you have to connect it through with your NBC app. But I downloaded it on my iPad over the weekend. And what's really cool about it, it has all this additional content. Uh, people doing podcasts, you know, interviews with people. There's uh, an FAQ around burning questions. One of them is like, why don't ice skaters get dizzy when they do the spins? You know that sort of thing. It also has like a medal count. You track your favorite events you can get news feeds from it so it's called the Olympic Channel and I would recommend just trying it out it's new I haven't seen it before give it a shot that's my recommendation
1: that's good That's good. I like that the Olympics are fun summer winter doesn't really matter it, it's always neat and it's fun to see some of the stories that come out of that and the background and all that kind of good stuff my recommendation is um, Dollar Shave Club I have a beard I don't shave a lot and so my wife is like, I don't understand why we subscribe and get these razors. So for those that don't know, Dollar Shave Club, you pay a nominal fee every month and they send you refills for your razor. And uh, they've got shave butter and you know some other things, some other products. But I get a set of four blades uh, every other month Uh, because I have a beard and you know my argument is I feel like like two dollars every other month is the appropriate amount I should be spending on shaving so it's great so you can uh, check out everything that they've got over there all kinds of products but the 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 quality is really good nice heavy handle Um, you get the refills it's uh, pretty cool Mm. pretty cool pretty handy One less thing you have to think about or shop for.
0: I love the subscription part of that, too. That makes a lot of sense. Well, very
1: cool. Well, another great episode. Love to hear uh, any feedback that you have. Track us down over on Twitter. Be sure to check out the website. Leave comments there as well. Until next week, he's Chris. I'm
2: Reed. We'll talk to you soon.